Hey guys, just want to add a little warning here that um, this week's episode includes talk of sexual abuse and it might be a little triggering to some people, to some listeners. So just wanted to give you a little bit of warning and heads up. I think it's a really important topic and a really important episode, but I also want to make sure that I take care of you and I'm responsible for your emotional well-being. Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back. And now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. How's everyone doing? It is my birthday week, y'all. That's right. By the time you listen to this, I will be 50 years old. And I don't really have a whole lot of words of wisdom (laughs) about turning 50. I mean, I do, right? I mean, I think that I will say that I think the, the content of my podcast is the wisdom, right? It's the culmination of the wisdom uh, that I've learned, um, in 50 years on this planet and my journey of being uh, on this planet. And, um, so I guess, I guess I have a lot of wisdom to share. It's just not like today I'm going to give you all the wisdom. I'm going to give you the wisdom like I do every week. <laughs> here's, you know what, here's one thing. Here's one thing I will say to you. The wisdom that I have at the age of 50 is I am so much happier on my own and being alone than I was being lonely in my marriage. And so many women um, come to me and they say, they talk about, you know, will I ever find love? Will I find something different? Is there something better out there? And you know what? Here's the deal. You are better. You are the better out there. You are the prize, right? It's not some other dude. It's not another husband. It's not like this or that, right? It's you. You're the fucking prize, your peace and serenity and happiness. That's the fucking prize. And I can say that as a 50 year old woman who is single and has been divorced for 12 years and has been in, you know, a few really wonderful relationships since my um, marriage ended and some not so wonderful, but you know, I've never been happier. I've never been more at peace. And it's not because I have a man in my life. Do I want one? Sure. Absolutely. But I will sure as fuck not settle for anything less than what I really, really desire, the intimacy that I really desire. And that's what I want for all of you as well. Happy 50th birthday to me. Um, all right. And on to today's podcast. Uh, today I have uh, my friend, my dear friend, Dawn Tyree. 
Dawn is an author, activist, and a founding member of the National Coalition to End Child Marriage in the U.S. Her story, guys, is unbelievable. I, just as an aside, Elizabeth Vargas did a, um, a sort of a you know documentary thing on um, child marriage. And you know me, I'm like all about these like true crime kinds of stuff. And it was totally up my alley. And I was like, oh man, I got to watch this. And I'm watching it and I'm, and suddenly I'm like, wait a minute. I know that woman. I am friends with that woman in this documentary. And I was Facebook friends with her for a long time. And I was like, oh my God. But we didn't really comment on each other's stuff. But like, I was like her name, like, I know this person. And by the end of it, I was so blown away. And I reached out to her and I was like, um, I just watched your thing and I need you to have, I need to have you on my podcast. So that's why she's here. And since then we've, you know, now we're, now we're friends. So, um, Dawn is currently working with the Global Hope 365 to help end child marriage in California. Uh, she was a ch- herself a child bride. And when I say child bride, I mean, she was married off to her sexual abuser at the age of 13. And her testimony and that of other survivors played a crucial role in ending child marriage in four U.S. states. By the way, four. Child marriage is now illegal in just four states. And the story of her experience as a child forced into marriage has been published in the New York Times, Reuters, The Sun, Daily Mail, The New York, uh, The News Review, all over the place. Yes, magazine and printed into 12 different languages. Dawn works with multiple organizations and universities across the nation to help educate and offer support in comparative studies um, on ch- internationally on child marriage and human rights abuse issues. She was featured, this is where I saw her, in a two-hour documentary on child marriage in the U.S. as part of the A&E Network docuseries, I Was a Child Bride, The Untold Story with Elizabeth Vargas. Um, Dawn continues her activism work in tandem with writing her harrowing story of overcoming the toughest of odds. And she is currently enjoying a very happy life in the Pacific Northwest um, on the coast. It's really beautiful where she lives. And, you know, I want to preface this, and I think we'd get to it pretty quickly in the episode. Um, Dawn is not a member of some, you know, fanatical religious uh, cult. <laughs> she is not um, a member. Her family is not FLDS. She's this is not the kind of thing that you're like, oh, that only happens in religious cults. Nope. It happened to her and it happens to um, thousands of girls, I think every year. And especially since it's not illegal uh, in all 50 states, which you'll understand why um, in this episode, there's a lot of stuff in here that's going to blow your mind. And I'm bringing this to you because I think this is an incredible story to tell. As you know, I am a fierce feminist, and I want to dig into all of the roots of patriarchal oppression of women. And when girls are sexually abused from the age of 11 and so and given to their abusers to be married at the age of 13, because that is the only solution a family can think of when a victim becomes pregnant, we have a huge fucking problem. 
So um, we, in this conversation, get into the nitty gritty details of a lot of the problem and what uh, what we can start to do about this. And I think this is, listen, you guys want to cause, you want to, you know, get to patriarchy smashing. Here's one big time. So um, this, this conversation, it, <laughs> this whole story makes me so angry in so many ways. Um, and I try to control and curb my outrage in the episode. And I'm not really sure I do a, a good job, but you know what? If you're not outraged by the end of this, um, then I don't know what to tell you. And also inspired because Dawn is a fucking fierce survivor and she has turned this into an incredible uh, life's work. And I'm so deeply, deeply honored that she agreed to come on the podcast and tell us her story. Here she is. Hey, Dawn. Hi there. Hi. Thanks for coming on and talking to us and telling us your story. This is. Yes. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, like I told you, I woke up this morning and I was like, oh my God, I'm so excited. I get to talk to Dawn today. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) So why don't you just start off, just tell us your story if you don't mind. Sure. Um, Well, my name is Dawn Tyree, and I was forced to marry at 13 years old here in the United States. My family had taken on a care provider for me, so kind of like a nanny. And so he began to sexually abuse me when I was 11 years old, and the abuse went on for a couple of years. And when I became pregnant, the fix-all for everyone involved was to get married, for me to marry this man. And you were 13 years old at the time. I was 13 years old and he was 32. Yeah. So uh, if I remember correctly, right, like he had been with your family and then your family decided to move away and they left you in his care alone. That's right. That's right. And he had already been sexually abusing you and you had told, had you told someone, you had told your parents that this was happening or, or not? There were little snippets information that leaked different times where I was calling my parents crying, get me out of here. I want to be with you. They had moved to Texas. My stepmother would just kind of discount that I was overreacting, you know, to them not being right there in my life. And as I look back now, any one of us would say, holy shit, you know, you have your 12 year old daughter calling you crying saying, get me out of here now. I need to come and be with you. I think most of us would evaluate that situation. Most of us wouldn't go. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We can back up. Most of us wouldn't leave our, our pubescent girl child with a grown man in another state. Right. Let's start there. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, if then there was a call that was desperate, one would per one would presumably look into that a little bit, and they did, right? And no. they did, and then you became pregnant, and their response to that was, "You should get married because that's what we do." Right. I mean, and and there is some of that I can remember. Well, not necessarily. It's it's the little windows of what you hear or, you know, uh, when you look at the picture and you think you remember that actual moment, but you're just if that that picture has been with you your whole life. And so there was a time um, when a couple of family members said, I guess we'll do what we've always done or we do what we've done before. 
And I don't have, I haven't been able to peel back that onion as far as I'd like to go. So basically. Talk to me about that, right? (laughs) Like how many times has this happened? Is this like a, a family historical sort of systemic Like that's crazy. Well, the sexual abuse is definitely, you know, as you go back generations, there's some sexual abuse that was happening to the women in my life before me. And so their idea of sexual abuse is that, you know, you, you keep your mouth shut, press forward. Um, I was told, do you think you're the only one that this happens to like move on? Again, getting married was saving this family friend that everyone loved and adored from, you know, any sexual abuse charges, statutory rape, any jail time, prison time. And of course, with my parents, I mean, just abandoning me, certainly there would be some sort of investigation or child neglect charges against them. So, you know, just hurry up, damage control, fix it all, get married, never have to deal with this situation again. So... I mean, it's just this, all of this, as you know, blows my mind and it shouldn't, right? The problem is that it shouldn't, it, that it actually shouldn't blow my mind because it's, because it happens. The system is set up to let that happen. And we'll get into that in a second. What I also, I want to sort of impress upon people listening is that you were not being raised in a religious cult. When I first heard your story and I first watched the Elizabeth Vargas piece, my thought was like, oh, all of these women, all of them you know, are obviously like FLDS, like obviously. right? And then I right. realized, oh no, none of them are. <laughs> like this is, this is, this is happening outside of what we would normally think it's happening. You know, this is not a, this is not a Warren Jeff situation. This is, right. this is, yeah. And so then you went to the courthouse, you went to the courthouse to get married. That's right. And the judge asked you, if you wanted to get married, which I suppose so was a little right vetting, perhaps like, is this situation okay? There really wasn't any in-depth conversation about the marriage. It just, it was really businesslike. Um, my dad was there. None of us were happy. Perhaps, I mean, the groom, maybe. I mean, for two weeks, he was crying and pleading, please marry me. I'll take care of you. I love you. You'll be, you know, for the rest of your life, uh, you'll be, you'll be okay. I'll provide for you and, and you won't have to be around your stepmother any longer. But yeah, so in the courthouse, it was really straightforward. And of course, I don't know when these trusted adults in my life applied for uh, the marriage license. I mean, we know now, like you apply for a license and go through all these steps. To me, it was all wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. It was really fast. Yeah. Right. And we were out of there. One signature, no notification to my biological mother. I mean, nothing. I, you know, my dad just signed a sheet of paper and I was, bam, wedlock. And the judge asked you if you want to get married. And you said yes, because you had been told for the previous few days or whatever, at least, right? right? Like that, like this is this is happening and this is the best thing for you. So you right. were really sort of manipulated into believing that this was the best choice for you. Right. By definitely by my stepmother and my abuser for for a couple of weeks. It was like, 
you need to say, you need to tell people that you want to get married. If anyone asks, you need to say that this is what you want. You know, you want to have the baby. And of course, I actually did want to have the baby. Like the thought of it, it's really bizarre as I look back now. It's like, I didn't even really know what abortion was, but I knew it wasn't something I wanted to put my body through. Um, (laughs) And so at that time, it was like, yeah, I guess I'm going to, I'm going to have a baby. So the manipulation, it wasn't like anyone in your life was saying, here are your choices <laughs> no. that you can make for your own body and you can decide, right? And that was not even on the table. It was not. And, you know, there were so many different mixed messages through the two weeks. Cause again, I mean, these are adults that were just trying to figure out, you know, how, what the hell to do with this situation. And I can remember like my stepmother, you know, well, if you're going to have the baby, you're not staying with me. And just all this different information that as a 13 year old, what do I do with this information? Well, I guess I'm going to listen, you know, to this dude that's been a part of my life, a constant in my life for over two years. And I'm going to do what he says now. Right. Because he says he loves me. So right. I guess that makes sense. Right. And he's been there for me when my parents left and, you know, left me behind yeah. in another state. I mean, he was a constant in my life. And you were a child. I was a child. So you had the, So you got married. You had the baby. You had your son. Right. right? Yes. And then you had a daughter, (laughs) right? 13 months later. And we know now that married teens will typically have their second child within the first 24 months. And so again, just setting them up for a cycle of not becoming who they can be in life. Yeah. So how did you get out? What happened? It was after my daughter was born that I started to have almost a spiritual awakening Having my son was a little different and I was younger. (laughs) Like, oh, wow, I'm a whole year older now. I know everything. Um, But having a daughter. (laughs) After she was born, I, I, that fear started to um, seep into my heart, my mind and my body. I was living in fear for her safety and, you know, becoming more and more aware of um, what a sexual predator is. And then becoming concerned about both of my children's safety and realizing, wow, I'm what a perfect situation. I mean, this dude married me when I was 13 years old. I'm having, you know, kids one right after another, and he can just, you know, do whatever he wants with us right in plain sight and not be punished or held accountable for his actions. And so it was after my daughter was born when I was 15 years old that I started to kind of plot my way out of that marriage. Wow. I mean, I just think, you know, my son's 15. So I think about that, like what it takes at that age to like have to, I mean, no child should be put in that position whatsoever, but to have that sense of, you know, that wherewithal, that sense of survival and also being caring, caring for two small babies, like (laughs) your resilience. Right. And that, that sense of, you know, you, you do, you get hit with that, like that survival. It's really, it's survival for you. Right. Right. It was, it was definitely um, going into a survival mode. Yeah. But, you know, again, the thing about these underage marriages and any marriage for that matter with the minors in the marriage, because the parents are often the perpetrators, they will not support the young girl when she wants to leave the marriage, because now, I mean, she's more of a burden than she was before she got married. She's now she's got all this baggage and little toddlers and you know all this stuff and the parents have to. So, I mean, they end up, my parents were really adamant about, no, you, 
do not ask us for help and do not go to any other family member and ask them for help. So I knew I was completely on my own if I wanted to get out of that marriage. And because I was a minor, no shelter would take me because I'm a liability. I'm underage. Anytime, you know, if I tried to um, go, you know, go to the community to get some support or community resources, um, I'd be deferred back to like an officer and the officer would say, well, we need to take, you're a runaway. You, We're going to take you back home to your husband. I mean, just, it's bizarre. And like, <laughs> Well, and that sentence alone, you're a runaway, meaning you are a child. So we have to take you back to your husband. Yes. Thank <laughs> like, you. Yes. It, cognitive dissonance is fucking staggering. <laughs> yes. Do you not hear what you just said? Mr. Uh, right. Right. I mean, sometimes I do have to stay, take a step back and then like listen to it. And that's what I went through. You know, like when I tried to go to a woman's shelter and I, when I tried to reach out for support and things like that, th- those were the messages that were given to me, you know, yeah. Oh, well, it sounds like you need to go back home to your parents. Oh, your parents. Went, oh, well, you're, you should probably go back home to your husband then because who's going to take care of you. I can't lease an apartment. I couldn't even get a hotel room. I mean, and then you, you know, you want to talk about financial control and things like that, that again, can, you know, happen in any marriage at any time. But when you have a minor married to an adult, there's no equality, zero. And yeah, there's no equality and there's no chance at independence. Right. And I think it's interesting what you said. I think this is a really important point to drive home is that minors cannot go to DV shelters or homeless shelters or any, any kind of shelter, right? Because they, you said they're a liability, but that's actually like an insurance, like it's actually a legal and insurance liability. It's not just like, Oh, we don't know what to do with them. (laughs) They're a liability. It's like, they actually are legally not allowed, not able to take in a minor. So you literally have nowhere to go. You have nowhere to go. And if your angry controlling spouse has reported you as a runaway, what's going to happen when you go somewhere, you know, right. If it's social services or anything. Yeah. And again, a spouse reporting a runaway. So if, if, if it was a, a non-minor, right. If it was a, you know, two consenting adults and the wife runs away or goes away, <laughs> the response of law enforcement is, well, she's adult, an adult and she's allowed to go where she wants. Right. So the idea that a spouse can legally uh, report their underage spouse as a runaway. runaway. Like, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't. (laughs) And we're going to get into more of what doesn't make sense, right? Because so, so, so how did you get out? (laughs) How did you get out? How did I get out? Yes. Okay. So again, you know, going back to the baggage, if, if, if the minor decides to leave the marriage and she's got a half dozen chicks in tow or whatever, um, I was 15 years old and I had toddlers. So by the time I was 16 years old, I had plotted this, this was my escape plan. I was going to move in with a family member that said it was okay if I moved in with them and have my two children stay with their paternal grandparents while I quote unquote, get my feet back under me, the grandparents, his his parents. So your husband's parents, parents. right. 
so the kids stayed with their grandparents for about a month while I was with a family member and able to get a job and find a roommate situation where we, we were able to all live together again. But I didn't, you know, obviously I wasn't forthright with my in-laws about my plan. Um, they just knew like I, I took off and, you know, they had the kids and, and, you know, da, 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 da. But I was popping in to visit the kids. And so on one of those visits, I took the kids and never looked back. Wow. And did he come after you or come after? Oh, the absolutely. You like left and then put the kids with his parents and he never went to his parents to be like, give me my kids. Or he didn't want to do that because that was your job. Right. Well, I think there was a little both. There's a little bit of he didn't want to do that. And it gave him some freedom. He spent a lot of time looking for me. So he couldn't have the kids like with him. I know there were a couple of different times where he was like in the car, like all night with both kids, like looking for me and, you know, all this just crazy stuff. He did at one point leave the children at home all night while he was out looking for me. Toddlers. Yes. One and two years old. Oh my God. They were left alone the entire night while he was out looking for me. He didn't give up easily and we fought for years. And, you know, when I got myself enrolled back into high school and the, the kids were at a daycare center, I mean, he would go there and try to pick them up and take them. And I, we, we fought like hell over the kids. He was controlling, threatening, um, you know, everything that I think any nasty divorce looks like, you know, we went through. I'm not going to give you support. You're not getting child support. I'm going to get custody. And while we're talking about that, my stepmother wrote a letter to the court, to the judge that said, give those children back to their dad. She's too young to raise them. So now I'm, I'm like 17 now. So like I'm 17 and we're still fighting over the children, but at 13 years old, I was old enough in her eyes to get married, to have, you know, have sex, have children, do all that stuff, wife, lady, whatever. But when I wanted out of the marriage and I wanted the children, I know this one, it, it makes my head pop up and spin. It's um, mine too. Holy crap. Holy crap. I mean, I'm glad we can sort of laugh about the absurdity of it at this point, but right. like, I mean, it's literally absurd. It makes it no is. sense. Well, from the financial perspective, I mean, sure, there's that. But then she was also like, oh, she's, you know, out of control. She's being a teenager, you know, and, and, you know, I often go back to that mental space, like what, what was going on in my head at 15 years old? What goes on in a 15 year old, you know, their head when like there's rules in the house or you have to do this or you should be doing that? Like, did I have that spunk too? Was I pushing back? at my husband for trying to parent me, who knows it, it really, I, I suppose it doesn't matter. But what the most important part is that I did have that the desire and for myself to have a better life and to push back and say, I don't have to fucking tolerate this lifestyle. Like there is something out there for me that's better. Yeah. So what ended up happening with like custody? And like, how did that work out? Did you actually have to share custody with this man? We didn't. Again, we're going to go back into, you know, the legal aspect of all of this. And because I was a minor, I actually couldn't be awarded. This is in in the state of California, too, by the way. I couldn't be awarded 
like full custody of my children and I couldn't get a divorce. I could not get a divorce. I had to wait until I was 18 years old for the divorce to be final. What the court did do is say, you can get married, but you can't get divorced. Right. And I will tell you, California does not have a minimum age for marriage right now. Today, we are fighting. We're going to get it. We're going to get get it. We're We're going to get into all of that. Cause y'all just hold on to your hats because your mind is about to get blown even more. If <laughs> so, right. So you can't get divorced because you're not a grown up, but you can get married. And so you can't be awarded custody of your children. That's right. You're not so old enough the- to have custody on your own, but only with a, only with a, you know, an older man. Only if you- I was married to, right. A, 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 an old geezer. An abuser. Right. Right. So what the court did do is because, because the children were kind of residing with me. So they honored that and said, okay, because the children are residing right now with mom, then they shall stay with mom and dad will have visits. And that's a whole, a whole nother minefield of, you know, we went from him having visits to me saying, oh, hell no, they need to be supervised. I'm worried about my children's safety. And then him breaching, you know, that court order and and me taking the kids and just leaving the state of California, breaking all court orders, everything, and living a life on the run to be. You did. I did. Oh, I don't think I knew that part. For 10, over 10 years. Did mm-hmm. I know that? Maybe I didn't. I don't remember. I don't. I, all of this is so, like, ah! So you lived on the run for 10 years with your children. Yes. Yep. In my early twenties, I packed up and left the state of California. I mean, they continued to allow him um, unsupervised visits and, you know, my inner wise voice that I believe, damn it, we need to listen to it. Like that natural instinct is so, so imperative to our survival and safety. And I just reached a breaking point where I really didn't give a shit what rules I had to break to stay safe and to get away from him. And your kids were approaching the age that you were when he started abusing you. So you, by that point, you're getting closer and closer to them being sort of that age, which is really weird. I mean, I have a 13 year old granddaughter now and I look at her and I'm thinking what in the actual fuck, excuse me. Like yeah. I can't imagine looking at her and, and look at right. Looking at her and saying, Oh my gosh, like God. who in the right child? mind would say like, okay, well, I'm sorry. You got sexually abused for the last two years and now you're pregnant, but you're going to have to marry him. It's yeah. Disgusting. Horrific. Um, so you went on the run for 10 and how in that time, like, did you, did you talk to your kids about it? Like, how did this, from just like a, a parenting perspective, how were these conversations with your children? Well, they kind of knew they weren't, when we left, uh, we moved to Alaska and they, we just kind of started a whole new life. And it was really different for me in that I wasn't living in fear of him because he did stalk us and follow us. And, um, you know, he was constantly uh, recording us and just everything. And so it was the first time in my life that I experienced, I I could breathe. I, you know, a big exhale. And, and I think the kids, they, they sensed that they knew that life was calmer. And even to this day, my children would say some of the fondest memories in their life growing up was the time that we spent in Alaska, eventually relocated to Portland, Oregon. And my ex did catch up with us. 
but he didn't interfere with our lives after that. Like I would get phone calls from the school that would say, oh, you know, he called and he, he was asking, you know, how they're doing or this and that, but he didn't actually interfere. Hmm, interesting. So did that, do your kids have any relationship with him now? Not now. They tried and I supported them. It was as the kids were getting older in middle school and, you know, freshmen in high school and things like that. When they started to do the math and ask the questions, um, I'd give them enough, you know, you give your kids enough information that you feel they can emotionally process. Right. And so by the time they were junior, senior in high school, they kind of knew that I was kind of forced into marriage young. And the night before my oldest son graduated from high school, I took him aside and I said, Hey, you know, look, I want to tell you that there is a possibility that your biological father could show up tomorrow. I know that he's paid, you know, he's, he knows where we live. He knows the schools, you know, that you guys have been going to, and he could potentially show up. And so I, you know, was able to give, give the kid that information so that they weren't blindsided. Yeah. My biggest failure was that I didn't pull my daughter aside. And tell her and looking back, it's like, how did I not do that? Um, And so during here we are, you know, huge high school graduation. And my daughter, who is a junior at the same high school comes running up to me and she's like, Mom, Mom, you know, there's this guy here and he says he's my dad. And I, my heart just sank like, I didn't prepare her for that. And it was just totally insane. And this dude went, I mean, he's, you know, he's worked for Universal Studios, Paramount Motion Pictures, he's into videography and all of that. So of course, he comes walking up to me with this huge camera. And I was just like, shut it the fuck down. You know, he's recording my daughter being totally devastated, you know, me not knowing how to process him showing up there. Um, And just so after that, fast forward, just a couple of weeks, you know, at that point, I I had told my children, wait until you're 18. When you're 18 years old, you can do whatever you want and, and go have a relationship with him. And it doesn't involve me. And I encourage you to do that because he's your father. And I know you want to know him. And so yeah. both of both my son and my daughter from that marriage tried to see what it would be like to have a relationship with him. And it didn't last long. Hmm. My daughter said he creeped her out and my son was, I don't think he was ever fully comfortable. He, I think he tried, he wanted to know his father and be close to his father, but also this is a person that really didn't know how to parent. Right. You've got, you know, these grown children and, and what, what do you have to offer? Right. Right. Nothing. Nothing. And good for them. You know, this is, this is the the question that I, question that I am asked you know, over and over and over again is about, and I think your situation is far more heightened, but it's actually a really great example. I think, I think the same rules still apply. They ask, you know, will it screw up my kids if I leave my abusive situation? Right. Because at least I'm there and I can sort of mitigate it or, or, you know, keep control over it. You know, and I always say like, no, (laughs) you know, (laughs) that's my default. (laughs) <laughs> default answer. No, no. If you know, if you want to give your children a chance or even a hope at healthy relationships in the future, you have to take them out of that situation and give them the opportunity to see what else there is. And if, even if for 50% of the time, even if you and your ex had, I hate even calling him that had shared custody, they still would have been 
aware that there's something else. It's like, it's like opening the lids of a, the lid of a box and be having them be able to pop their head out and be like, Oh, there's all this too. Right. Whereas if you stay in that abusive situation, your re, their, their reality is only that. Mm-hmm. And you gave your kids the opportunity to see all to, and that you gave them discernment. You gave them objectivity so that when they went and saw him, they realized like, Oh no, he's actually pretty fucked up. right whereas had they stayed with him they would not know that they would be still trying to fight for his love and it would have impacted Mm -hmm. all of their future relationships you know Mm so I think it's it's a it's yours is a very stark example of why we need to not stay (laughs) in a not stay right but your kids then grew up with the ability to discern for themselves and they did, you know, in a healthy way, it sounds right, like. right. And, uh, you know, even moving through relationships after that, if I wasn't happy, I didn't stay. Yeah. And you know, that could have, I'm always unpacking this stuff. Um, but it could have been part of, you know, my father raised me, my parents divorced when I was quite young. And, you know, my father had a lot of different um, relationships when I was growing up. And so naturally, like, by example, I'm like, Oh, well, when shit hits the fan, or things aren't working out, I'm packing and leaving. And a part of me is proud of that, because I, I don't tolerate unhappiness, I will pack up and leave. And there's the other part that says, Oh, wait, way back when, perhaps I was just unable <laughs> to work on things. I don't know what I know now yeah. is yes, I'm I have the emotional capacity to work on things and talk about things. And but in the past, I, I bounced really fast. I yeah. did not stay in a relationship where I was unhappy for too long. Yeah, it's never black and white. It's never there's always the gray. There's always all the you know, look, at we're complicated human beings. And you're also a, a complicated human being who has that complexity compounded by trauma, right? right? Very real trauma. So yeah, it's like shit we'll be unpacking for the rest of our lives. Right. right. <laughs> as long as we're continuing to unpack it, right? That's right. Like, yes. Not, yes. Don't slam that bag shut. <laughs> no. Right. Like as long as you're continuing to unpack it, then that's, that's the best we can hope for. Right. Right. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor today. Today's sponsor is Soberlink. Now, the Soberlink system is designed to make parenting time safer with real-time remote alcohol monitoring. Soberlink uniquely combines a breathalyzer with wireless connectivity and is the only system that includes facial recognition, tamper detection, and advanced reporting. Parents can submit a test anytime, anywhere, thanks to Soberlink's wireless technology, which delivers test results by text message or email to the concerned parties. Simplify co-parenting arrangements by using the system that provides transparency and proof of sobriety throughout the day. Flexible schedules combined with real-time delivery of results make Soberlink the experts in remote alcohol monitoring technology. And for a limited time, get $50 off your device by emailing info at soberlink.com and mentioning 
The Divorce Survival Guide. And now back to our show. Well, and leaving, okay, so going back to when I did leave that, you know, child marriage, because my value was so low, the personal, you know, self-worth, your value, like if if my parents were saying, you know, at 13 years old, they could, my life can be tossed to this man or, you know, and then being with this man, just having no uh, real self-esteem or knowing my self-worth or value, I went into another incredibly abusive relationship. which was my, that's where my domestic violence experience came in. Like with my first marriage, it's a really gray area because of the sexual abuse for two years and then being married. But yes, I was raped by him. And yes, you know, he took advantage of me during that marriage. He did not beat me. Mm -hmm. My second relationship is where I experienced, you know, literally being pistol whipped, um, having a gun to my head. Um, And, you know, this is about worth. This is about how we raise our children uh, to not be valued. That is exactly what, where that came from is that I felt I was not valued. I didn't matter. Um, And so this was just the way life is. And again, those words coming from like my stepmother, do you think you're the first one? Do you, do you think you're the only one this ever has happened to? This is part of the life. You have to figure out how to live. You got to live with it. Yeah. And so that relationship was off and on. And after getting out of that one, I definitely kind of started, I was on the road to recovery as far as unpacking the, all, all of the trauma counseling and saying, I am worth more than how I've been treated. Yeah it's not just how you've been treated, but it's also the choices that you then made, right? Like you didn't have a choice in the first one in your child marriage. That was, you don't have a choice in that. Right. But, but then because that's your conditioning, especially at those formative years, hello. Right. <laughs> you know, and then from before with your father, like then the choices that you, that you made were impacted later on. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, yeah. Yes. Ugh. Oh, my love there's, and there's just so much, right. And then there's the work to be done to unpack as we were talking about all of that. So now I want to talk about your advocacy work. I want to make sure that we, because this is super important. So you have taken this and you have hit the ground running. So tell me about the laws in almost all 50 states or at this point, 46 states and how they actually uh, support child marriage. Well, okay. So each law or each state, excuse me, makes their own laws. And we have 12 states do not track child marriage at all. And 10 states have no minimum age for marriage. And right now, what we're doing is obviously fighting state by state to get an 18, no exceptions. A lot. So the the loopholes that allow child marriage aren't in your face. I mean, a lot of it's profound to me how legislators really don't know that, you know, their state is allowing this to happen. Um, But it's in the fine writing. It's in the it's, it's the little writing that we put in there thinking that we're saving children. Oh, well, you know, then no marriage license shall be issued, unless there is a court investigation. Well, I can tell you firsthand that there is no way if there was some sort of investigation that I would have outed my parents for for the manipulation or the sexual abuse. I mean, these are not safety nets. And as as a matter of fact, they put the minor at risk even more, because the minor is being grilled, like, don't you say this, don't you say that, 
they whatever go to this appointment at human department of human services go home be the child for saying what they shouldn't have uh, these safety nets put the girls at risk even more one of the greatest risks is that we'll move a state will say, okay, well, you know, the minimum age is 14 or 15. How about if we move it to 16 or 17? Well, we've learned now that the 16 and 17 year olds are the ones at the greatest risk because we're like, oh, they're almost adults. Oh, they're almost out of high school. But we know now that they're going to drop out of high school and they're like four times less likely to go to college. And so the 16 and 17 year old girls are even at greater risk. So we've got to bump it up to 18, no exceptions. If we want the children of today and tomorrow to live their life to their fullest potential, because we, the, the devastating consequences of child marriage ripple after generation to generation. Like my kids are still, they're impacted by what happened to me. And we know that now it's, it's not like, Oh, this thing happened to my mom and I'm fine. Right. No, of course they are. Of course they are. So you have gone to bat with uh, a number of, you've got, there are a number of sort of, of nonprofit organizations now that have sort of come together, right, to try right. and fight this. And you have gone to bat and changed legislation in four states, which is amazing, but it still <laughs> blows my fucking mind that it's only four out of 50 states that have said, you know what? You're right. This is fucking crazy. If, Nobody's it, if it was that easy, that would be great. It takes a lot right. of fighting to get there. Yeah. And in 2018, well, just really quick, in 2018, child marriage was still legal in all 50 states. Yeah. And there are people who, there are actually people who oppose the legislation. And that's, those are the, those are the ones that like make my head explode. <laughs> what is their, what is their um, argument against changing this legislation? Um, well, we, we get the argument that a 16 or 17 year old girl that has become pregnant would benefit from being married to the father of the child and not having this child out of wedlock and have that financial, you know, support and stability of being in a, in a union. And again, we know now that the divorce rate is like 80% for these young marriages. We also know that as soon as she gets pulled out of the home because she got married, she's going to drop out of school, become a stay-at-home mom. And I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but it really complicates her ability to ever get back in school, to finish school, and to try to go to college Yes, without that... We know now that if the 16 or 17 year old gets pregnant and stays at home, she has a greater chance of becoming the person that she desires to be alone with the yes. parental support, not married, removed from home and trying. You're a fish out of water. Yeah. <laughs> Flopping around trying to figure it out. That's one of it's the Romeo and Juliet where we think, oh, you know, these two, they're in love and they should be married. And we all know Romeo and Juliet ended horribly anyway, but we use that as a reference. I don't know why. Um, so and, and that's the 1%. <laughs> I mean, that is like the 1% like, oh, they're they're both underage and we should allow them to get married. Uh, no, that so we have these laws and all these little, you know, the fine print that allow that, but it's actually 
destroying million millions of girls lives. And some of the numbers that we do have is from 2000 to 2010, almost 250,000 minors were married to adult men. Now remember, 12 states don't track that data. So that number is higher. Yeah. And let's be clear, it's underage girls being married to older men, right? There right. are very few cases where it's the where it's flipped the other way. Right. young, young girls to much older men. And so with all of that information, we still get that pushback for the, the happy high school sweethearts. So we're, we're keeping all these, you know, negative, nasty, archaic laws in place just for that one, one tiny 1% of the high school sweethearts that got pregnant. Well, you know, it's just, and, and why can't they wait? Why are we destroying young girls lives? for that potential one couple that that high school sweethearts that can wait right until they're 18. But we're also not talking about high school sweethearts. We're talking right like oh in terms of getting the ability right. to get married. Yeah, they can wait. Yeah, they can fucking wait. <laughs> you know, and also I think another argument that is made is that, you know, by very by conservative groups is that if we don't allow them to get married then then it'll increase the rate of abortion. Right. If they if if they can't get married, then the the you know the girl will probably abort the baby. Um, is that no? That's is that, that's not really it. But one, I mean, one of the things that we do get is that it is infringing on reproductive rights, and and we've gotten we've actually you know from from the California Planned Parenthood a few years ago pushed back on us that um, this is infringing on religious rights and reproductive rights. It gets really it's interesting. I know I see you're like perplexed, and it's and you guys, yeah, you guys can't see my face. It's just it be, so. Planned Parenthood doesn't want a limit on child marriage because it's somehow, I don't know, how does it infringe on reproductive rights? I don't understand. That's a good question. And it gets really, really complicated by spiritual practice and different religious practices and, you know, unions and and all of that and reproductive rights, it does infringe on that if we decide to say no, 18, you know, no exceptions. We have made huge progress with some, you know, with Planned Parenthood and some of the other organizations that have pushed back. Um, so we we are moving forward and that when, when we're able to say, look, we've got to just look directly at the impacts of child marriage on these children and understand that they are worth saving and we have to do an 18, no exception. It feels to me like it's like it's state sanctioned and family sanctioned kidnap, kidnap and rape. Like that's what it felt like to me. I mean, <laughs> Sure it did. And it just, and it's like, I don't under, I'm sure it's more complicated, but like at the end of the day, no, it's fucking not. It, like at the end of the day, it's actually fucking it, not. It's a no brainer. At all. <laughs> it's a right. no brainer. Like why? Oh my God. It, right. So, it's not that, it's not that deep. Like. And it's this another is, form of sex trafficking. I mean, we've, we are now linking it together and that's exactly how I felt. I mean, when I, became a 13 year old bride, I felt like a sex slave. 
And this is one of the ways that sex trafficking is happening. Like it didn't happen to me, thank goodness, in the way that it has to others. But, you know, imagine a 35 year old man marrying a 13 or 14 year old girl and then having, you know, ownership over her and being able to loan her out for sexual favors and and be paid for it. So and and this is is all happening just right under our nose. Oh. It's, it's so, uh, anyway, but the good news is that you have changed legislation in four four states. states. (laughs) So we were able to get Pennsylvania and Minnesota during the lockdown, which is wonderful. I did fly out to Minnesota last February and, you know, we did what we call a chain in. I was with Unchained at Last, who's actually the leading nonprofit that's spearheading child child marriage in the U.S. And we were able to get another bright line bill of 18, no exceptions. And we just keep chipping away. Yeah. I love it. One state at a time. So where can people go to learn more about this issue and get involved if they so choose? What do we need to do to have this actually get go across all 50 states? So, um, <laughs> well, right now I'm working with Global Hope 365 in California to end child marriage in California. So you can go to okay. the California Coalition to End Child Marriage.org. Visiting that site, you'll find a little advocacy page. Click on it and you can enter the, the county that you live in and request yeah. a resolution. And Global Hope 365 will provide you with the paperwork that you need because we have five counties in California that have committed to a resolution to to 18 no exceptions. Now, the resolutions are not legally binding, but it's a public statement. And the more of those we get, you know, you have it under your belt tools when we go in to totally end it. So California Coalition to End Child Marriage dot org. Just to to learn more about child marriage, I would recommend visiting the Unchained at Last website where they just have all kinds of information. Um, You can hover over like each state in the U.S. and see, you know, the statistics, the numbers, the minimum age, um, how many have been married in X amount of years in that state. I am a founding member of the National Coalition to End Child Marriage in the United States. Again, so that website is National Coalition to End Child Marriage in the United States.org. That's a big one. <laughs> all of this we'll put, we'll put all the links in the show notes because it's a lot of it's a lot of websites, but we'll put it all in the right. show notes. Right. And so of course, you know, I've got I'm like the human trafficking one eight hundred number that definitely I want to shout out is one one eight 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 three seven three. 7888. And we want to make sure that that's available out there for those. If you see something, that's the whole thing. If you see something, speak up. I can't tell you how many times like we were in public and I just wanted someone to save me. Like people would notice me with this older man and and look and have the strange look. And, and I'd have this feeling like, yes, can you call someone, please? <laughs> you know, right. and, and so can you see that? say that number again, Don, just so that we 1-888-373- 7888. And that's for human human trafficking. Um, right. And then also, you know, if you want to learn, sort of hear more of this of Dawn story and other stories like it, there's uh, the documentary. Uh, what's it called? I don't even know. Um, it's <laughs> 
upon it one night. It was with A&E, although I know it's available through like Apple TV, Hulu, Amazon Prime. Um, I found it on Hulu. Okay. Yeah, I found it on Hulu with Elizabeth, Elizabeth Vargas. Vargas. Yeah, uh, the, it's the untold stories. I was a child bride, a two hour documentary with four uh, survivors. And what's great about that film is that I think it does touch the different backgrounds because often people are like, oh, you must have gone to another country to get married or, oh, you're, you know, from this spiritual cult or something. And, and each one of our stories is just so different and dynamic that really shows you child marriage in the U.S. knows no moral compass or, you know, economic background. It's just happening all over. Don, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. I so appreciate it. I, I so adore you. you. I really, (laughs) I really want, I really, really hope that that you, we all get this 18, no exceptions across the United States. It's so important. What I'm learning is it's educating our communities because people don't know. And so I have so much gratitude just for the opportunity to be here and to share this information and educate others. Ending child marriage is part of the Sustainable Goal Act of 2030. So we've got, you know, it's like educate, 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 because we need to end this. I want to meet that goal. (laughs) I am down. I am down to do whatever we can. I will. I'm going to get my advocacy hat on and, and hit California. Yay. Thank you. (laughs) Let me know how I can help. (laughs) Well, yeah, I will. I will. But yeah, because this is crazy, just crazy. So uh, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that you made it out and that you have turned your life into this incredible advocacy work to to stop it from happening to other people. And also you are you are happily recoupled, right? I mean, I just want to say that. Right. Too. Happy like, ending. You know, thank you for yeah. thank you for mentioning that. I am with a fabulous partner and I feel loved and safe and you know, just accepted for who I am and and I'm so supported in all the work that I do and and I couldn't be happier. Yeah. So thank you. Thanks for that mention. And thanks again yeah. for having me, Kate. And I admire all of what you do and represent so much. Thank you. Got you. Back at you, babe. Oh. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at The Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.